Be Fabulous with Vibs and Vicky, the ThinkShift podcast for professionals who aspire to be fabulous leaders, those who not only succeed, but also purposefully seek to reinvent the world. Welcome to the Be Fabulous podcast, and we are now going to kick off our series on the future of work, and today we're going to get into our first topic that we picked up as a uh, it's kind of six themes, if you remember. And the first theme of that was what's going to stick and what's going to rebound in a post-COVID, quote-unquote, new slash better normal. So with that, Vicky, how are you doing? Hey, Vips. I am super excited about this topic because it's very, it's very relevant. I'm having conversations every day with clients about the future of world work and the whole extreme from clients saying we're all in, the offices may um, take it or leave it to other organizations still trying to figure out like how does this work so I think this is a very timely topic I'm excited what about you Vips? Yeah it's really interesting I, I seem to have two types of conversations with clients on this topic one one seems to be more in the the mechanics, if you like. How do we get people back? Do we get people back? What are going to be the policies and process changes kind of thing and then and then the other type of conversation is much more wait a minute, what, what should we be thinking about? Like, what, what are the opportunities out there? Like, like sure, surely there's a better way of reimagining how we think about this. And th- those conversations are probably a lot more fun. And it, it kind of always reminded me of this, uh, you know, I, 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 don't know who, I don't know who originally came up with this comment, but it's always stuck with me. I think someone in years gone by said, said it to me, as humans, humans have a tendency to overestimate short-term impact, but underestimate, long-term impact. That was me. Was that you? <laughs> yeah. All right, well, there you that go. That was in our shift <laughs> Yeah, but how many years ago was that? Yeah, I know, but where did we get that from? Because I know I've heard that for a decade. So maybe you came up with it a decade ago. I don't know. Let's don't give know. you credit. Vicky Shillington's credit. <laughs> well, certainly I get recency credit, Vibs. Okay, you get recency credit. You put it in my head. But yeah, but, it, but, it's, but that is actually very interesting because I think, I think that we're not really going to see the true consequences of what the post world of work post-COVID looks like, probably for 24, 36 months. It's just going to be iterations. I agree, Vips. And as we think about organisations that are defaulting back to where they were before, either because they haven't given it much thought or there might be founder-led organisations that like to have people in front of them or they have the belief that, hey, better things happen when we're all together you know, what, what, what should they be thinking about as they, as they, they think about this world? Because there are some organizations who aren't thinking beyond, we used to work in the office. Yeah, yeah, it's reversion. The it's pandemic just, happened. Yeah. Now we go back to the office. They're not really thinking about the opportunity that was gained during this fairly lengthy period. It's not like it was a month or two, Vips. It was, we, we've been at this for over a year now and organizations have had to become really productive. They've had to use technology. They've had to figure out a lot of different things, and or acceptably, or acceptably productive. <laughs> productive. I, 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 I don't know that anyone's been really productive because it's been such an exceptional situation. It's like you can't you can't measure productivity in the way that you would have before because there's no benchmark to measure it against. Really, like yeah. you know, oh, I, I'm talking about everything, not just task throughput. I'm talking about from an overall enterprise point of view. So, but you're right. You know, maybe what we should do, Vicky, is we should. We should probably bring back our old uh, five levels of thinking to dissect it because mm-hmm. uh, it, it's such a 
multi-layered, multifaceted thing that we're talking about. Uh, and maybe we should, maybe we should, uh, you know, start with level one tactical and, and go all the way up. You game? Yeah. I'm game. I'm game. So how, how about I start the first one and then, and, then we, um, and then we riff off each other in the way we normally do. Let's do it. So my notes when I was thinking about this and working it through on my whiteboard was, was when I think of level one, which if you don't know, if you're new to our, new to our show, level one is tactical. It's at a tactical level. If you're thinking very tactically, you know, with a very almost immediate short-term mindset, what can I do now? Um, I think when I think of rebound and stick, I, I think what you're going to see rebounding is you're going to see what I call a slow drift back to the office. You know, even if from a novelty point of view, I haven't been to the office for so long, I'm just going to go back to the office because I want to be back with people. And then, oh, this is actually quite nice. And mm-hmm. oh, I've actually got a desk here rather than my bedroom. And oh, this chair actually is comfortable and all of these sorts of things. So I think you're going to see a fair amount of rebound um, back to the office. And I think with that's going to come what I'll call pro- professional socialization or casual socialization. You know, the coffees, the lunches, the breakfasts, the, the, maybe the drinks after work in some cases. But I think with that, you're going to, that, that social connection, I think you're going to see rebounding back, particularly for, um, you know, in those people who don't like to work in silos, those people who, who see work as a social experience rather than just, you know, punching a clock. And I also think that, you know, um, I think you're going to see more rebound where you're going to see the rise again of commute, commute complaining. Mm-hmm. People, haven't been, people haven't been complaining about commutes recently because no, no one's doing any. Um, but, you know, I think you're going to see a reversion of some of that, you know, it takes me so long to get to work or get to meetings or traveling on planes. I lose half a day. I lose a full day. So I, th- I think I think that I think those things are probably going to rebound, although probably not to the level that they were pre-COVID. And what about what will stick with? I can tell you what my three notes are. We can talk about it. I, I wrote down the acceptance of Zoom everywhere, and I, mm-hmm. I mean Zoom as a verb, right? Whether it's Microsoft Teams, whether it's you know whatever Google Slack, Meet, Meet whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I think there's just an acceptance that. Every meeting is going to have someone on camera. You know, it's going to be an exception to not have someone on camera rather than, you know, it'll be like a luxury to have everyone together. Uh, I, I think that's going to stick. So, you know, Zoom shares are probably in a good place um, for the moment anyway. And I think, um, I think anywhere where people have moved, I think where people have made lifestyle choices, like they've moved out of cities or they've moved to the suburbs or they've, I don't know, moved from California to Montana or, or Colorado or that kind of thing. I, I don't see them c- coming back. Uh, you know, it's, that takes a lot of commitment to do that, like, you know, personal change. Uh, you know, I think, I, think, I think most of those are going to stick. Is, I mean, I, again, I've got no research to back this up. But just from the people that I know who have moved, most of them are like, you can pay me enough to go back. Um, and if you hear something similar. And, and my, you know, the third bullet point I wrote up here in my notes, Vicky, was this idea that, you know, we talk about work-life fusion in a separate podcast. I, I think that's here to stay. This, this kind of work-life is fused together and with, for good and bad. So yeah. on the one hand, we've got sort of, you know, parental obligations are going to be seen as much more real for everyone, that kind of thing. On the other hand, 
you know, people who are not very good at their own self-control and self-discipline are going to be forever bitching and complaining about doing emails at 2 a.m. and can't switch off. And now is it, I think that's, that's that kind of how that feeds into that emotional wellness and the self-discipline to switch off. And I think that's, that's here to stay. I don't think that's going anywhere. So as we think about those, those different elements, uh, you know, what comes to me is from a uh, tactical perspective is thinking about the, the physical proximity um, based on your profession. So yeah. for those professions where there is high care, high touch, like the medical professions, th- that dynamic um, is going to need a lot more thought in terms of how do we create the right level of physical proximity. Uh, corporate headquarters as well. I mean, <clears throat> there will, there's the notion of, of the beloved or the hated cubes, depending on your perspective. Yeah. Uh, and offices, you know, what does that look like? And those will be different from professions where we're transporting goods or, or we outdoors doing production. So depending on the, the type of business you're in and the type of services you provide and the level of proximity to customers, to each other, tactically, the physical proximity is going to be a, a big equation sure. for people as they think through this. Sure. And to be fair, to be fair, I was thinking more information workers. Who, who have the choice. I mean, if you're, if you're, so yes, I agree with you 100%. And I, I, I do think though many of those for good or bad have found themselves working how they used to work anyway, you know, probably to the detriment of their own health over the last period, um, you know, with essential services and so forth. So yeah, but I, I think, um, but then, you know, you say medicine. I mean, I've had four or five telemedicine sessions yeah, myself. Yeah, that only goes so far, though. So I agree. That's no, no, I agree. It's no, no, physical care. No, I agree. I agree. But imagine if, imagine if you would have spoken to an expert in your state, but now you've got used to consulting with someone over video. So now you want the expert in Stockholm, right? I mean, you know, I think that kind, yeah. of, that kind of dynamic is, is, is kind of interesting, right? Especially in a country where, particularly healthcare, we, we think of as a, as a product and a service to buy, and so, you know, if I'm going to get my knees replaced, I want to go to the best knee consultant in the world, right? You know, suddenly their markets are going to change, right? In terms of, I mean, yes, there's, there's a surgery part, but there's everything that happens before and everything that happens afterwards. I mean, that, that's a, you know, you're, yes, you're playing with the value, change, value chains of the whole process areas of a business or of an organization there. Yeah. It's kind of freaky. And that, you know, well, that, that leads to how much is going to change. Now, I was reading a, a research report from McKinsey recently where given the increase in e-commerce and automation due to remote work, they are estimating that up to 25% of workers are going to have to up-level their types of jobs because of that automation that's yeah. happening. So we get access to those greater services, but the lower-level jobs are, are changing. And pre-pandemic, it was 6%. So that, that is a huge shift that's happened in one year due to that increased automation that was a push for a lot of organizations that would have got there eventually but that is now higher yeah it was going to happen anyway it just got a, it just got a significant turbo boost yeah did. yeah and and you know i think for us it, from a tactical point of view uh, i think that's that's i mean what it says to me is <laughs> the future of work for employees at a tactical level is got information workers in particular but but not just information workers is going to be in, in, really disruptive it's gonna yeah. it, it's it's just it's not gonna 
you know, those people that want clarity of expectations, clarity of knowing what they're doing exactly, you ain't getting it. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be quite, I, I think we're going to, we're in for it for a, for a year or so of like just experimenting really. Different things are going to be mm-hmm. tried out. I, I don't think, I, I don't think there's, I mean, it's, you don't really have best practice on something you've never had to do before. Yeah. And so I, I think yeah. it's going to be very emergent. The tactics are going to be very emergent. But I think there's some broad themes that people can be thinking about, even at the tactical level that you and I have been That's working right. on. You know, the one is, is the work more transactional or is it more about innovation and creativity? Because the transactional work, unless you have to be face-to-face for a particular customer need, there's no reason why they can't be remote. But the, but the work where you are required to, to, to come up with new ideas, to build on something with each other, we're going to need to create more of a connection and a sense of belonging for that piece of work as well. So I guess that's our takeaway from tactical is, is really think through what is the kind of work that you need to do? Are you going to default to going straight back into the office? Or is there an opportunity for you to look at it through the lens of transactional versus what can be done to create a sense of curiosity, creativity, innovation, belonging? And when should you come back into the office? Because the cost of just bringing everyone back into the office, not just the financial cost of the physical location, but the emotional cost that comes with the commute and also the extra drama. I don't know about you, Vips, but in a lot of my clients, the drama has gone down by a huge amount without necessarily being in each other's space the whole time. There's just the joy of being with someone, even if they're on Zoom, it's exciting these days. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. Maybe I, I see something a little bit different with my clients, which is I just think the drama has changed to a different type of drama. I, I think we've gone from internal internal office drama, if you like, to personal health and well-being drama. Oh, absolutely. That, so so absolutely. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. To me, there's like, I, I think, you know, if you're going to be dramatic, you're going to find a way to be dramatic. And it's going it's <laughs> it's to come out of one orifice, if not another, you know, that's... <laughs> So if we, if we go to level two, op, you know, at the operational level, I, I think this is going to be really interesting because now you've got manager expectations on being around more, particularly because that's what you got used to. So, so, you know, if I'm a manager, I go back to an office, then I'm going to, I'm, how am I going to think about someone who chooses not to come back in the office if they're part of my team? That's not just, that's not just a personal choice thing. That's like, well, that's like an attack on something that I think is powerful because I made the choice to come back into the office. So, so I think, I think that kind of, um, you know, how this translates to, well, I just don't like the fact that this person's remote when they should be in person. Therefore, you know, it's going to subconsciously or directly show up in performance evaluations, promotions, all of that kind of stuff. Right. So I think, I think manager expectations are going to be very, and they're going to be very varied. Um, and you know, HR departments and policy departments are going to try to create, this is what we mean and this is what we're going to do and so forth. But this is going to be hugely variable by type of manager. And, and so, so people are going to be complaining at an operational level of inconsistency. There's, there's just no way around it. You can put all the consistent policies and procedures in place. The experience that the worker is, or the, the, the employee is going to feel, the person is going to feel massively inconsistent based on who they work for. So I, I think that's definitely going to happen. And we also get another type of bias that creeps in as we think about this type of, of world because not only do you have the inconsistency of, of the managers, but what we don't know is our own preferences right. you know? so we might like people around us in person I've got a couple of clients that 
as executives, they cannot wait to get back into the office because that's how they operate the best. When they've got their kingdom in front of them, they can see everybody and touch everybody and go out and have all these conversations. They found it incredibly hard to do that remotely. But what they don't realize is, you know, what, what are their, their unthought, you know, ideas about all that? And are they, are they creating a perspective themselves that they don't even realize about people who aren't in the office? Yeah, I, I think also at this level, I mean, you mentioned proximity earlier, but it's a different type of proximity, proximity to power and decision-making. Mm. Um, mm. I think that's going to matter again. I, like, if you think about it, it's quite, it's quite, it levels the playing field if we're all on Zoom. Yeah? It really does. But if we're not all on Zoom and some people are in a room and some people are on Zoom, then it's no longer a level playing field. And... And you can say, the you know, in persons have preference. Yeah, and you can say, you know, don't start the meeting until everyone is online. And I mean, I, I get all of that, but but there's always going to be the, hey, let's go and grab, let's go and grab a drink, let's go and grab a coffee before we walk into the room. Hey, haven't seen you for a couple of weeks. You know, how are things going? You know, all the 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 the, the rituals that are part of going into the same room. That's <laughs> like, you know, there, there's, there's rituals there, and then there's going to yeah. also be the you know, the post-meeting debrief as you walk out the room. I, I mean, that's not going to, like you can say we don't want you to do that, but it's, it's not going to go away. Um, no. So no. And, and, and even in the meeting, you know, in the beginning, I think people will be pretty good at being mindful of people. On, then they're going to forget. Yeah. And, and those that are not with them, you just kind of forget to talk to them because it's much easier to talk to people physically in your presence because you're watching their body language and, you, you, you've got that different rapport where you, it's very difficult to multifunction between in-room conversations and those on, on, on video calls. The research proves that either you remote or you in-person works best. The hybrid is, is another level of complexity that takes a, a real art of finessing to get right. Which is also, I'm going into a much higher level of thinking here for a second, but it's also just reality, right? Nothing ever is implemented purely one way or the other, ever, anything, right? Correct. So, yeah. I mean... Our job is fundamentally to operate any kind of environment, team, or organization somewhere between the that between those you know in the grey between those two points. I mean, everything is blended or hybrid at some point. I mean, even pre-COVID, it's not like many people weren't working remotely. You know, maybe some of the time, or you know, Friday afternoons or Monday mornings or whatever. I mean, yeah, you know. So it's going to exacerbate the, the need for, for really good outcome metrics that people can get a sense of what's really being achieved. So, so for those of you that are thinking about this, the, the key takeaways for this at the, at the operational level is to think about as a manager, as a leader, as an executive, uh, what could be your own biases about people working in the office versus remotely? And how do you really start to think about that and, and shift to what does success look like and how am I measuring that as opposed to my, my likes and my dislikes? Or, or maybe, I mean, so there's a value judgment in what you just said, Vicky, which is it's good to adapt to that variability, right? Or maybe you just decide as a business leader, I don't care. Like if you, I want things back this way. And if that no, no, if that no longer, you know, meets your needs, then you're welcome not to be here, right? And I, I think you will see that. Yeah. You will see well, that. Well, I'm already seeing that. One of my clients has already said that. You know, it's, it's a question that will be in the office and all bye-bye. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I, I, don't, I think we have to be careful not to, 
not to introduce the idea that tolerating everyone be or, or creating an environment that allows everyone to be hybrid is somehow good. Yeah, I would say it has consequences. Like, you know, it might give you better access to certain types of talent or, or benefit from, you know, less office space and the financial costs of less rent and all of those sorts of things. But it's, but it, but it's also just a business choice. And, you know, there's, I'm sure there are enough people out there who would want to be employed and be fully in or fully out. Agreed. You know? So something we have to bear in mind. Um, just on that, from an, also from an operational point of view, I do think that in, the, in terms of things that will stick, I do think that um, you're going to start seeing the, the... I think one thing that's been a gift of COVID is people don't assume that if you're not there, you're not working. Yeah? So just because you're not mm. here doesn't mean you're not working. I, I think mo most managers have wrapped their head around the idea that just because you're not there doesn't mean you're not working. Yeah. And I think that's going to stick. So I, 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 I don't think we're going to, I don't think we're going to get back to you're not here, therefore you're lazy. Yeah. Or you must be skiving. I, I, at least I, that's, that's my hope on this one. Other than for those who haven't believed their people have been working over the last Yeah, that's right. But, but, <laughs> but that, that would be consistent irrespective. That would be consistent yeah. irrespective. Yeah. And, and I do think you're going to see, I, I do think there's going to be an industry, well, there's already an industry, but you're going to start seeing all sorts of HR rule complexity around this and, you know, goals management, objectives management, um, performance evaluations, um, you know, how, how does, you know, you're going to see it through, it's almost like a systematic disadvantage. Maybe you don't get the, the, the promotion velocity may be shorter if you don't have the proximity to power, you know, all, all of this kind of stuff, I think is going to be really quite challenging. Um, and there will be HR policies and procedures because no doubt there will be lawsuits around this in the, in the, in the next 12 to 18 months as well. Which may lead some people to actually turn up in the office, even if they prefer to work remotely, because they'll see it as a disadvantage to their career. They might not know how to put their finger on it, but they will inherently feel that, hey, if I'm in person, that's a good thing. Yeah. And, and, and again, and it's, and it's a very, yeah, and, and it's, Again, you know, I, I don't know. I, I can I can argue this one both ways. I, I I mean, there is something to be said for proximity. I mean, you know, you're in LA. I'm in I'm in Atlanta. You know, neither of us are doing too much work in London anymore, <laughs> like, right? I mean, there's no reason why we couldn't have done just a, just a, the same amount of work in London that we did for the first whatever twenty years of our professional lives. But but yet. You're doing a lot of work in California. I'm doing a lot of work on the East Coast, right? And California. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah. That, you know, we shouldn't. It's dangerous to go to a place where you say proximity shouldn't matter. Because I think that's. I, I think there's does. something about the human condition yeah. that, that, that makes proximity matter. Yeah. Do you want to try level okay. three? So that is moving up into structured. No. Yeah, it's getting deeper and deeper now. So this builds on what you're touching on earlier in terms of uh, the, the, the cross-organizational challenges that we start to see. So it could be that one department feels like remote working is okay, they've got the technology, they understand it, they've got it working, for the kind of work they do it makes sense. But across the organization, it could be a little bit of a, a faux pas, hey, we want everybody close and near us. So I can see multidisciplinary challenges coming in across departments as 
different preferences from different leaders, different types of jobs, different types of functional areas, creative way of, um, of thinking about work. Yeah, totally. So my headline for this one when I was whiteboarding earlier is culture wars. Exactly. Yeah, I, it's, yeah. that was what I wrote down, culture wars. And, yeah. and it's really interesting, right? Because this one I think of more like kind of changes. It's, it's structurally what, we, what businesses want is high, like I'm talking about from an organizational point of view, from a business point of view, you want the maximum amount of flexibility and the maximum, maximum amount of agility. You, you, you want to be able to change things and move things around as quickly as humanly possible. Humans, on the other hand, want stability and flexibility in how they go about working. Those two, and clarity, and they, and they want safety of knowing that their jobs are going to exist, that, they, that their roles are constant. That's a rock and a hard play. I mean, that, that's a... Yeah. That's yeah, two that's forces, but well, it's not, it's more than, a, it, it's like two forces that, that are, they have to explode. Yeah. yeah. And I think what this is going to bring about is, is that challenge where you're going to start seeing certain roles or components of roles or even organizational cultures that are fundamentally say, we want to be efficient culture first. So efficient cultures first will create a lot of transactional processes and transactional jobs and transactional work, which are going to lend themselves very well to the economies that are available through distributed workforces. You know, I'm talking about the cost benefits. And so because, because the units of work are just the same, they're very predictable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you're going to have organizations trying to build on much more resiliency. Yeah, which is, which is when things change, how quickly do you adapt to them? Like without, without, without you know, without breaking down or losing your mind or, or, or breaking your team. And, and I think what you're going to see is we've probably over-indexed on the efficiency automation aspect. Now we've got this need to keep changing. And, and those, we haven't structurally created leadership teams and organize Like I think organizational design and org and leadership dynamics are going to a new chapter is going to have to be written about how you do that well, because they, they didn't have distributed workforces built into their core. 100% agree with you, Vips. And, and that's going to be tough. It is going to be tough. And, and, and who wins? You know, is it, is, it the, is it the efficiency drive of the organization and at what cost? Or is it the, hey, I can see where we need to be in a few years and, and, and how do we get there too without losing our efficiency drive? That's not an easy one. Oh, I, th I think I think what you'll see here's my here's my prediction. Right? I can't. I, I got no green on this. I got no how this is going to happen. But my prediction on this is what's actually going to happen is because of those two tensions. Like people want stability and and um, and they, they want stability in their jobs and flexibility in terms of when they work and how they work and so forth. And and businesses wanting a lot of you know agility and adaptability. I think what you're going to really see as a context of all of this is. The way we think about certain roles, like a HR manager, marketing director, a VP of X, I, I think those roles will probably they will decompose. I think someone's going to decompose those roles. They're going to they, people are going to start looking at the components of what those roles do and say, well, these components work really well remotely. These components work really well. Um, uh, uh, face to face, face to face, or or you know, and and now we have to devise entire organizational models and business models that 
that force people to congregate at certain periods of time to do certain types of work. But then you're on your own for two or three months at a time. And then you might come back. So you might even have, we're all going to be together for January and March. And then we're, we're, you know, we're all doing our own thing totally remote in February, May, June and July. So, so I think you're going to start seeing different business models and different cultures emerge that are wired from the ground up to not only provide that flexibility, but also to, quite frankly, benefit from the economic upside and the opportunity that this is actually going to present. It's interesting what you say, Vips, as I think about that. You know, it makes me think about 15, 20 years ago as we're entering into the digital. That's right. The digital business area. And do you create your digital business unit within technology or is it separate? Was it part of marketing? And we saw all flavors of that, didn't we? And then we had the challenge of, do you integrate? When do you integrate? Because you've got the speed of that digital business and um, the adaptability. And that's at a complete (laughs) paradox to the rest of the organization, which is built for resilience and stability. And they're at odds. And the way a lot of organizations did that was to start new, you know, start a new business unit. That's exactly right. That's what's going to happen here. Trying to change an existing one is almost impossible. How do you take an HR organization and decompose people's jobs and do them differently? Well, what you do is you take take a bunch of random people who've never done HR before and you build it from scratch with that principles and they they develop those new best practices because they're not polluted with how things were done before, which is what will happen. I guarantee you that's what will happen. I can't predict how it's going to happen. Um, yeah, but it will be thinking more about the employee experience. You That's know, right. The, the A to Z of the employee experience as opposed to... Or the customer experience. Or the customer experience. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, uh-huh. you know, because it's really interesting you bring this up because the reason why that experiment never worked 10, 15 years ago was because, you know, technology will, will see the world through the lens of technology, Right. Marketing will see the world through the lens of marketing. So, <laughs> so what happens, everyone sees the world through the lens of their competency set. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And, and therefore, we don't innovate, even though we all think we're innovating inside our little silos. But someone somewhere, there'll be a new generation of companies that figure out, some of them are probably being born right now in the middle of the, um, you know, in the, middle of the pandemic. Um, but but what, what you'll find is, you know, some of these, you know, we, we think of technology being like the, you know, the bastion of innovation and so forth. And you know, I guarantee you five, seven years from now, they'll be like, they'll be slow and they'll be the new kids on the block who are doing it differently. And, you know. Yeah, 100%. And the circle of life continues, as Elton John would say. So. All right. Now we get even more meaty. Systemic. Systemic. Yeah. So here, you know, whenever we think of systemic, I tend to look more outside in rather than inside out. So, you know, I, I look like, you know, travel. I, I do think travel is going to rebound. <laughs> I think people want to, I think people want to travel. Um, you know, but I, I imagine I, business travel is going to be less, Vips. I, no I think business travel will be less, but I think you will see business travel of a different type. I think yeah. you probably see more um, the annual meeting type, get everyone together from everywhere. I think you'll see a lot more of that. I think you'll, um, but you're right. I, I don't think you're going to see the road warrior style mm-hmm. Monday to Thursday, Monday to Friday thing. I think that's going to be... Which will be a blessing for the individuals and will be a blessing for Certainly the for consultants. And for the climate and for many things. Yeah. 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 You know that, totally side note, I was reading, I think I told you I was reading Bill Gates' book. How, uh, if you haven't read it, by the way, go and read it. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, how mm-hmm. to avoid a climate disaster. And I mean, there's all sorts of wonderful statistics in there. But one thing that really hit me about what you just said was was even during the pandemic, right? So in a year where we've basically not traveled, 
okay? And all of these things that we haven't done, we haven't commuted as much, we haven't driven as much, we haven't, you know, all that kind of stuff. Carbon emissions only went down by 5%. Only 5%, right? Isn't that something? So that tells you how much of it isn't those things, right? Um, anyway, that's totally, yeah. totally unrelated to this. But so it's, ca- it's those cows, Vips. It's those cows. <laughs> <laughs> it's concrete. It's cement. It's heavy industry. It's electricity. It's power. I mean, anyway. But the point is, I do think travel is going to... I do think travel is going to... I mean, you can't, you know, it's going to rebound, at least in the short term. Um, but I think you're right. It's going to be very interesting to see how the airlines respond to, like, you know, miles. I don't, mm. I don't know if you get so many, you know, you know, frequent million flyer. dollar frequent flyer people anymore. Like, I think they're going to have to lower their thresholds going forward. You know, it's going to be very interesting. Um, and also to create more of an um, experience. So if people are going to go out, they want that, that experience. So if they're thinking about shopping or yeah. restaurants or uh, concert events or even workplaces, you know, you, you, you want to be there for that connection with other humans as opposed to be there because it's efficient. Yeah, because you felt more what it's like to not have it. <laughs> yeah. 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 People um, anywhere... I think there's something around, you know, I, I think you will see, at least in the short term, um, people moving out of, like the slowdown in urbanization for a short period of time. Uh, I don't know what that, you know, I measured in years, but a couple of years. I, you know, I, I do think that we'll have the benefit, you know, people make lifestyle decisions to move further out, change cities, move to more temperate climates maybe, right? From exactly. north to south and, you know, all exactly. those sorts of things. Um and I, I think also things like, um, you know, things like Starlink are going to have a big, big say in that. You know, once that, you know, once you get sensible broadband anywhere, that that yeah. that, that changes the game a lot, particularly in the remote mm-hmm. space. And I, I think the economic benefits of that. I mean, even us, you know, we're, we're talking to someone to join ThinkShift who's in Flagstaff. I don't think I would have ever have even considered hiring someone in. Flagstaff mm-hmm. prior to this. Um, but you, you get, but that's, that's a city, but I'm talking about anywhere, like even you know, up in the mountains somewhere. You, know, you can, you know, once yeah, you've got sensible bandwidth, matter. you can be anywhere. Um, yeah. Entertainment industry. I mean, think about what's happened with cinemas. I think cinemas are going to have a bounce back, but streaming platforms are doing same day premiere releases. I don't see them giving that up. I mean, you know, they're quite happy to disaggregate some of those pesky cinemas. So I, I think, I, I think you know. Well, that's it, where the whole experience kicks in. Yeah. They've got to up their game for you. You know, some of the IPIC theaters are already doing that, where you get a great meal along with your movie experience and you get the, the, the butler with the button. You know, you're going to want more of that experience. There's going to have so. to be a reinvention of those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, food and restaurants. Cruise ships. Yeah, cruise ships. Um, so, you even, know. Even flying, you know, you're going to want to. Think about that whole experience as well. Well, and cost. I think the problem there's going to be the problem there's going to be if you have less people, the average costs are going to go up, and that's going to make it harder to actually travel for poorer people. So there's yeah. so that you know then now you're getting into now you're getting into you know is that going to have consequences to you know nationalism and you know those sorts of yeah you know, you know because people are traveling less. Or, yeah, but then you've also got digital health. Digital health is definitely going to be accelerated as a result of this. 
healthcare as an industry itself. I mean, which is a good thing. I mean, it's been it's been trying to adapt for years now. Yeah, sure. And it's and now it's a, now it's been accelerated because they had to. Retail, I mean, I mean, traditional retail is just dying quicker. Um, you know, but then you know, e-commerce centric um, retail is expanding. Um, so I think when you when you look at when you look at systemic, and then you've got to layer in you know everything that's happened to our sort of collective consciousness around, you know, shining a spotlight on inequity, uh, those those themes, you know, the divergence between the haves and the have-nots, the political landscape upon with which we went through COVID, I think will have a lasting impact for quite some time. That's uh, that's going to play out. Um, over the next four, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years, uh, it's playing out daily. So I, I think I think those things are going to have a. Uh, to me, one of the big systemic issues are going to pop up there, particularly from a leadership standpoint, is leaders just can't. I mean, they don't have the luxury of saying, of, of not engaging or making a comment on social and political issues. The well, they have a choice. It's just the consequences of the, it. The, yeah, the con- yes, but but. But it's we're in a kind of well. If you don't say any, like, like the fusion of what is cancel culture versus what is speaking your mind versus what is inappropriate versus what is adding fuel to a fire versus I, I mean the 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 nuance around all of that. I, I actually think we it's going to force us all as business leaders and and leaders in our own right to develop much more competency in that space that quite frankly, we've just neglected for 25, 30 years. And I I don't think it's going to, I think it's going to be a mandatory thing. A bit like... It's been an HR no-no up until this point. There's been too much risk. And a legal no-no too. Yeah, too much risk associated, absolutely. And I think there's still a lot of risk associated with it. There is. Um, But but, but there's almost too much risk if you don't. Well, it's a different type of risk. Uh, You know, there's a reputational risk and and you know mass boycotts of brands and all of those sorts of things right and so I, I think you know so for years if you if you for years we were complaining that there wasn't enough political engagement okay and now we got a lot of political engagement it looks very different from what it looked like 30 years ago or 40 years ago and so now the whole the whole system has to retune to to what that means and Quite frankly, what you pay attention to versus what's noise versus what's real, and and we don't we don't know how to do that at a systemic level right now without basically slinging mud, and and that's that's a that that's a huge huge problem for all organisations to deal with systemically. That's going to have level three impacts, level two impacts, and level two, level one impacts. It's, no it's question. Massive. No question. Yeah. No question. So as we think about then our last level, so we've so we got to do one more on systemic money, okay. right? The, mm. the, the $1.9 trillion or whatever it turns out to be in the end. The stimulus. You know, whatever, whatever the stimulus ends up looking like. And, you know, that's what's that, what that does from the perspective of, of, you know, not just overall debt levels, but what that does in terms of maybe pushing, you know, pushing out or maybe reducing the worst effects of the economic transition, maybe stopping a recession or slowing it down or, you know, that, that backdrop, all of that is going to create different types of, so on the one hand, it's good and businesses are going to like it. On the other hand, business is going to hate it because the flip side of that is taxes and all mm-hmm. of those sorts of things. And so how the stock market reacts to all of this and how that drives, you know, 
consumer confidence and all of those sorts of things. It's, to me, it's a volatile landscape for the next two years, which is going to make it even harder to create stability for people. Yeah, and that, that's, that's before the Windows reality kick in. That's before Windows reality kick in, yeah, which is probably about 18 months to two years from now, yeah. Right when we go into the next election cycle, <laughs> just, to, just to spice it up. Yeah, just a nice little whammy to add to the mix. Yeah, sorry, I just felt that, that that's an important systemic mm, parameter. Yeah, um, money, money is always at the heart of most things these days. Obviously. Money is at the heart of most things, yeah. And then you know, if, you, if you can't start, if you suddenly can't do all these remote working things because it costs too much or, or you start getting more serious about measuring productivity and it turns out that you, know, you, you have to let someone go and you let someone go and they just happen to be remote and now are you discriminating against them because they're remote? And does that turn into yeah. a million dollar lawsuit? And all of these things are going to happen over the next two years. And how do, you, how do you, if you decide you want that remote working as part of your culture, how do you, how do you get your managers up to that level where they can actually manage outcomes yeah. and results as yeah. opposed to day-to-day -day transactions. And How do you hire for self-discipline? Yeah. You know, I had one client say to me, we had this conversation and we were just spitballing like we often do. It's like, damn, this is going to be a vet's dream because the one thing you learn when you come out of the armed forces is self-discipline. That's just, that's just what you learn. So it's like, damn, this could be fantastic for vets, um, you know, armed forces vets getting jobs because you can guarantee that they're going to put the effort in. They're going to have the self-discipline to work yeah. remotely if they want to and need to. I'm like, you know, that, that's a... An untapped workforce. I, I guarantee that's a statistical correlation. <laughs> that's, yeah, it's a good one. You know? So good maybe, one. maybe that's an upside for, for vets and it becomes part of their... Maybe yeah. this is a wonderful thing for their career paths post when they come out of the armed forces. But I think we are going to have to see an acceleration in, in managers figuring this out because it's always been something that they've needed, but they've got away with it because of proximity sure. in the office. But for those that choose a hybrid or remote world like they've done over the last year, now it's a, how do we know people are actually working and they're not just on the beach sending a few emails and a few slacks now and again? And, you know, how do we know what they're actually producing? Well, and that's going to that's gonna get into privacy and employee monitoring and all of those sorts of so, <laughs> so, you know, because yeah. it's already happening, right? I mean, yeah. you know, Amazon yeah. are in all sorts of trouble for doing stuff in that space. So, uh, you know, the, the systemic one on this one is really, like, complex. this is, it's complex. And it's also, I, I wish people actually thought about that at a, at a values and ethics level. Like, for our organization, this is kind of the systemic things that are going to be important to us. And therefore, let's trickle that down rather than, I've got two people who are going to leave unless I may allow them to stay remote forever. And I see too much of that. They're kind yeah. of reacting to someone we can't lose, which yeah. is just, uh, to me, it's, is, causing, later, it's, it's causing later pain. Well, it's also setting a precedent. It's, it, yeah, it's just not good. It's not good. Well, that takes us to, very nicely, a segue to meta. Yeah, level five. The values and ethics judgments around all of this. Yeah, so, you know, I think you've got, Things like, I believe that the crisis is over, therefore everything should get back to how it was before. Okay, that's a... That's a or even it's been overblown, it wasn't really there. It wasn't really there, yeah. <laughs> it was all a political spin. Let's get back to where things are. To, to the other extreme of it'll never be gone, it'll always be part of us. You've yep. got all those beliefs. Yeah. I like people, but I don't feel the need to be around them. Yeah. Okay, so I think at a meta level, now to me, I, I start thinking about things like okay, what does it do to the social fabric of society if everyone is a nomad? Like things that tend to bring us cohesiveness are 
the communities, the tribes, the churches, the 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 Southern California vibe, you know, the the, the you know the New York vibe. That you know, if you start, we get a lot of our organizational culture, our dynamic, our values, our cohesion, our societal cohesion. You know, down to things like crime and what's right and what's wrong and what I mean, all of these sorts of. We get a lot of that from the environments we're in. And if suddenly all of that is distributed everywhere, then how do you create cohesiveness on anything? And so, you know, to me that then, and then what happens is you end up really reverting back to a very selfish state. Yeah. And that's almost like societal regression at that point. (laughs) Yeah. So at a meta level, I think, you know, you almost look at it like, you know, you know, all of our sort of, decision-making and values and ethics, if you like, uh, tend to be anchored in the, in the small communities in which we grow up and the tens we work in and so forth. And you split that apart. And, you know, how do you ever get, I mean, is it maybe, maybe, maybe we have a whole new generation of businesses for whom it's a design principle to not have an organizational culture. But it'll happen anyway. I don't know. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Maybe... Maybe the organization of the futures look like, look like cells. Well, culture is always about the behaviors. So you all impact each other. So unless you're an organization of one, there'll be some level of culture. But I get completely what you're saying. It won't be the... But it might, be cells, it might be cells of 10 who are operating pseudo-independently, you know, galvanized by a mission, and that's about it. Like, more like yeah. chapters. And, and it feels more... The loyalty is not there. It's much easier to move on. And I think what happened then is that starts then impacting society that starts impacting what is a sense. I mean, you know, you think we've got social justice problems now. Imagine if all of that was fragmented out. I mean, you wouldn't even know how to have the conversation. Yeah. Um, so, but, but, I, but I do think overall, I, I think that, I don't think it'll go that far. Cause I think at the end of the day, I think human beings are fundamentally social creatures. Yeah. Uh, it's too much DNA to being a social creature. Yeah. So I think what it's really going to do at a, at a meta level for many people is it's going to force them into very tough job choices. Do I really want to be doing this anymore? Do I want the commute anymore? Do I, do I, just, do I just want to, like, I've realized that I don't need most of the things that I have. I'm just going to, I'm going to downsize to a hut. <laughs> I just don't need it, right? Yeah. I'm going to downsize to a hut, sip pineapples and pina coladas and live near, a sea, live near the sea so long as we have one, <laughs> right? Um, you know, that kind of, uh, I, I think you are, I mean, you are seeing that. I mean, I, I've seen people who are like, you know, I just don't want that life anymore. It's, yeah. this made me smell the roses. Even pre-pandemic, I've seen people starting to do that, you know, and this has been a, an exacerbation of that. Yeah, or, or the be- to me, the, on the positive side, I think the best thing that's come out of this at the meta level is I think people are truly going deeper into themselves, into what is really important to me, as opposed to what are all the things that everyone else has told me I should think are important. Yeah. I, I think that's been the gift of this. And I think yeah. that gift will, if we can harness that and channel it, I think that's where the optimism for the future comes from. But it's going to be bumpy. It is. And then on the downside of that, what, what won't stick as well is for those who haven't done that self-reflection because it's been really challenging, they're going to want to get back into the old world as quickly as possible because facing those choices is just too hard. It's been too uncomfortable. And I think ultimately where this is going to go is it's going to force a bit of a reevaluation in terms of how we think about educating young people for the world of work. So 
you know, MBAs are going to be talking about how to deal with difficult social and political issues if you're asked to manage a team, right? Like that doesn't exist today. You don't do that. And, you do, and you how do you do that remotely? Finance, yeah. And then how you do, yeah. How, how do, yes. So I, I think, you know, all of these things, um, I, I think you're going to start seeing a bit more, you know, this kind of, you know, engineering versus liberal arts kind of thing. I think you're going to see a bit more fusion towards those things because, you realize that you need a little bit of both. Like you might, you might major in one, but you still need a minor in the other. I, I think, well, at least that's my, you know, the optimistic vips is uh, hoping <laughs> that, because I think that's the way we build a more cohesive, more cohesive and learned society that can actually tackle the real problems of our age. And the real problems of our age are more existential in nature. They're not, yeah. they're not, how do I yeah. make a little bit more money for this organization? They are, how do we how do we deal with the mega themes that we're going to have? You know, increasing population, climate change, shortages of resources, water, mining, food, food. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, you know, I, that's gonna we can't do that in a massively fragmented, purely individualistic world. That's not going to work. Well, I mean, it's not going to work without lots and lots and lots of death. <laughs> and famine and yeah. wars. <laughs> so, yeah. which, you know, I would rather think we could avoid. I would like to hope we could avoid. So, Pips, as we think about our takeaways, because we got quite deep there at the end. Mm. <laughs> but this is why that most people want to stay in tactical and operational, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it makes sense. It all, gets, it all gets a bit hard. Yeah, it all gets a bit hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think we've just messed with people's brains. It's all, it's all a bit hard. Top three takeaways for you, Vicky. For me, it is, if you're thinking about your future of work, rather than defaulting to what you did before, think about what work you need to do transactionally versus where do you need that creativity and create a win-win for your organization. Don't lose, don't lose the goodness of what's happened over the last year just because you haven't given it some thought. It's possible and you're gonna get a huge win out of this. And not only that, you will be able to have access to talent in a way you haven't had before. So at least consider it, even if you decide that it's not for you. That'd be my one. What's your one, Vips? I think my one would be, it's probably more from an organizational point or from a system point of view. I think it's more, expect a year of, year, year and a half of just experimentation as people try different things. And I think what will actually emerge will be, will not just be like different policies and procedures, it will actually be different types of business models to support that natively. Yeah, it's a, and I think that, and if you, if you go into it that way, then you'll be a lot more, much more comfortable with the, with the things that you're doing in the next three months, six months, nine months, 12 months that feel tactical and operational. And, but you, you're, you're treating them like a learning experience because, and, and I guess put the measures in place to, to see how well you're doing against them so you know what to double down on in the future. Um, but my view is different business models will ultimately emerge that support this natively and they, they are gonna, they're gonna be massive talent magnets over time. Oh, completely, yeah, yeah. If you get that balance right of, of the efficiency that the organization needs with the flexibility that the, and stability that the individual needs, that, that's your win, that's your golden nugget. That's, that's what I think is, will, will occur and uh, yeah. All right, you guys, we'll strive for the golden nugget. It's where fabulous people go to live. <laughs> the golden nugget. Love it. And we will see you next time. Stay and be fabulous. <laughs> <laughs>